Welcome to Financial Foresight. This podcast was made by four fee-only CFP professionals to help consumers understand the financial industry. Let's meet your hosts. They're either naive, they're stupid, or they're lazy. You know, the other thing is, is uh, my ceiling fan just went out in my kitchen today. He is the commander in chief on this video right now. And uh, man, I am feeling controlled and empowered and safe. Don't stop for Dwight's baby. We can edit that out. (laughs) All of the podcast hosts are owners of RIAs registered in their respective home states. All commentary on this podcast represent the opinions of individuals and not their firms. All commentary is financial education, not financial advice. So let's get started. Hi, welcome to the Financial Foresight Podcast. We have the whole crew together and shout out to Colin and Ian recording live in New Orleans in Loyola University dorm rooms as they are at a conference. And hey, guys, topic for today. First and foremost, Ian, Colin, give us a little bit of a taste of what you guys are are doing and up to down there. Well, first off, yeah, we are down in the swamps here in uh, 95 degree heat. Uh, I have to say, though, it is beautiful compared to where I was coming from in Michigan. So I think I'd rather be sweating than chilling. But it has been awesome. We're down here with probably like 120 young advisors, or at least advisors that are in the first 10 years of their profession. So it has been a wonderful experience so far, just getting to know some of these other extremely passionate advisors. Um, And I really have nothing but great things to say so far about the conference. Yeah, I mean, between the fact that we're meeting a lot of other people who have a passion for serving clients like we do, um, the other really cool thing about it is some of the speakers they've brought in have been truly impressive. Um, so I, I I just have been learning basically every session I've gone to. So it's been pretty cool. Any topic that stands out? Um, one big one is actually about just being better financial planners and kind of doing better at disseminating information to the public than, I guess, our forefathers or the the leaders in the profession that came before us. Um, I've had a lot of conversations about kind of this invisible wall that the financial industry has built around understanding its products and its concepts um, that really only, it seems like other financial planners are privy to, right? So like we understand how to navigate things like the mutual fund industry, the insurance industry, that kind of stuff. But it seems like younger financial planners really have a passion for sharing all that information so that, you know, the average layperson gets to a point where they hopefully understand all those concepts as well, which is really cool to see. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's like to Ian's point, been some awesome speakers. One of my favorites was Blair Ducanet, who is a member of the Ritholtz Wealth Management Group. And it's always nice just meeting someone who you read a lot of their material and are a fan of in person. And uh, it's just a person who's, you know, really become successful and just spoke to how your growth is not linear. You have ups and downs and a lot of different challenges along the way and to really just try to enjoy the journey. So it it was just really great to hear from someone who's uh, kind of made it, if you will. Well, Ian, I think that's a great point from the standpoint of people being able to understand what they're invested in or the process behind it instead of this like smoke and mirrors, like you need me, so that's why you have to pay me instead of like, hey, here's the information, I'm gonna educate you, and the reason you wanna work with me is because 
you know, I make life easier, I can help you make decisions and empower you, all these other things. Again, yes, our generation, the younger financial advisors out there want to actually have real relationships and not have it predicated on this, like, you need me and without me, you're going to like fall off the face of the earth and not be successful type of attitude that I think a lot of maybe the gray hairs out there at times, not all, but some really like to act like, you know, they don't want to give all the information out there or educate people because that makes them stay clients. I think that's kind of a an old school mindset and the wrong mindset to go out and attract people to, in today's day and age. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at it kind of like, um, you know, a really popular figurehead outside of our industry is uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. And he, he has like the whole jab, jab, hook thing where it's talking about giving, 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 and then asking for, right? Um, whereas in the past, it's been like, I'll give you just a little bit, just enough so that you know that I'm worthwhile and then I'll ask for you to become a client. And I think the modern take on financial planning and financial education is more like, not only am I going to give you tons of free information, but oh, by the way, I might write a free ebook and I might do all this kind of programming in order to try and educate you. And then maybe if you do need help with one of these more complex issues, you'll come to me seeking that advice, right? Um, and I think that that's a much healthier ecosystem, not just for financial planning, but also for serving those, uh, those in the community. So kind of on a similar vein, a lot of the conversation around here has been about this really crazy statistic that the financial planning community only serves uh, about 2% of the American public. So when you look at the number of households that are cared for by a financial planner directly, that number comes to about 2%. And the number of households that work with some type of financial advisor comes to 17%. So one of the best um, speakers that we've seen here time and time again, she's actually done a couple sessions, is uh, Sandra, and she's out of the California area, and she specializes in working with low to medium income families. So she's really trying to change that paradigm and work with community organizations in order to do financial planning work for everybody. And so that, again, goes along the same theme of like, these are a lot of financial planners that really care. So it's really cool to spend a lot of time around them and, uh, and look for ways to make the profession better. 2%, that's wild. I didn't realize that it was that low. Yeah. How are they tracking that? Like, what are they using for that metric? Are they talking about CFP professionals? Are they talking about anybody calls themselves an advisor? Or is it just, you know, how what are they pulling into that 2%? So, so this is based on, obviously, surveys and data. So, like, that number is not perfect. It's from representative samples. But, you know, even if the sample is off by... I don't know, like even if that statistic is off by 100%, we're still at 4% of households, right? So it's not even like we're close. <laughs> so whether or not the statistic is exactly right or not is not the problem. The problem is that most uh, Americans aren't being served by the old way of financial planning, like the AUM, the you need to have a million dollar minimum kind of models. Like those models don't help the greater population, they help two to 4% of the population, let's say. Um, not to say that, you know, your wealth means you don't need to be served because everybody needs financial planning. But, you know, it, it, it does mean that we need to do a better job of finding models that reach more people. And I think that that's part of like what we do and what, what XY is trying to help with. Absolutely. Say it again for the people in the back. Yeah, no joke. <laughs> 
there's I mean there's some other stuff that we can talk about as well if you saw anything else that you're passionate about that um that you want to talk about more because that was kind of the me show no I'm a little thirsty I'm good <laughs> you're a little thirsty you're like let's get to Bourbon Street right now <laughs> okay um like there's free drinks downstairs that's the tweet of the week right there six. okay <laughs> that's staying in the podcast for sure <laughs> yeah yeah random select them yeah e- yeah okay. Ian, you gotta do the random so- selection oh my god i'm totally leaving that in so uh so today we are going to do the tweet of the week, uh, which is a segment that we do on all the episodes for those who are listening for the first time, which is probably most of you. Uh, the tweet of the week is a segment where we randomly select a tweet or another type of social media post from uh, one of us and we talk about it. So Dwight, your tweet came up this time. What do you want to talk about? Okay, so I found this and this was a retweet of somebody else's um but it's this graph that just shows causes of death in the united states so what americans die from what they search on google and what the media reports on and just very quickly causes of death number one is according to this graph heart disease is like 30 percent cancer is like close to number two and all the way down the list and like terrorism is like you know very very low Google searches, so things we really care about, um, heart disease is like 2%, cancer is like 37, and like terrorism is like 7-8%. Uh, and you go all the way to like what media coverage, according uh, apparently like New York Times or The Guardian, and like really high on the list in terms of what they're covering are things like terrorism, homicide, suicide, uh, and very little on any of this. So anyway, it's interesting. I'm not really here to like argue about whether or not the data is correct or not, because some folks here are saying, no, it's not, or whatever. But what I do think is interesting is just kind of what gets played out in the news cycle and what we pay attention to, which are things that are probably not going to be nearly as important. So just I guess one of my takeaways from it was, you know, what are we focusing on and what can we actually have control over? So when you look at things like heart disease, not that diet and exercise are going to cure heart disease all in, but it's a lot of stuff you have a lot of control over that are going to help um, and, you know, compare that or contrast that with say terrorism which we don't really have a whole lot of control over but we're spending a whole lot of time focusing on so using a financial planning uh analogy it's like we spend sometimes a lot of time talking about the market or what's going on or you know how all these things that really we don't have a boatload of control over rather than focusing on the things we do have control over how much we save how much we invest um you know different things like that so i don't know you guys have any other thoughts on that I think that's really good. You mean you don't care about the Uber IPO or Lyft IPO, Beyond Meat? I actually tasted the Beyond Meat burger uh, over Memorial Day. Not as bad as I would have thought, but I wouldn't eat it. I'm uh, I'm still a ground beef guy. I'm still paper trading that Tesla stock, though. But uh, no, I don't know. I just <laughs> really paying attention to those long-term yields, really watching the yields. I don't know. I mean, that stuff really actually does matter, right? So, I mean, as a data nerd, Dwight, I, I love the, love what you were saying exactly. with that. Like, the, the truth of the matter is that what our attention is towards and what is actually important are usually not the same thing, right? And one of the things that 
you find pretty consistently like I, I obviously come from a psych major background before I got into finance is that this holds true across like all types of contexts. It's not just what kills us or what makes us money or whatever. It's it's literally like everything. So having people to focus you is like half the battle. Right. Um, which is I just think it's a pretty interesting thing. Like, it, you know, people do routinely when they meet you know, a financial professional first, their question is like, what stock should I buy? And it's All like, dude, I don't know. Actually. Like, I don't know anything about you yet. <laughs> there are some things I can tell you are generally good though, like saving and not spending a lot. <laughs> yeah, all of the stocks. <laughs> exactly. So it's just, I think that's some interesting data, man. Dwight, that's so interesting that you just happened to bring this up because I'm reading a book right now called Factfulness by Hans Rosling, who is a Swedish statistician. And if you look him up, he has some really, really cool TED Talk videos. And he pretty much dedicated his life to just gathering data and showing how the world is actually getting so much better, even though we only focus on the things that are scary and that, that seem like they're getting worse. So, like, for example, like, the amount of deaths from natural disasters and uh, life expectancy and uh, world population, human literacy rates, uh, babies born per family and things like that, like are all these amazing trends. Uh, children being vaccinated are, are getting so much better uh, over the last uh, couple hundred years that it is just amazing. We live in the safest world in the most fair and just world, not to take away that things can't get better and that it's certainly not perfect by any stretch, but when you look at the news, you just have to think that the world is just the scariest, worst place you could imagine, and in reality, it is the exact opposite. But no headline is ever going to be, say, like, you know, wow, literacy rates increased by 0.02% from last year. But if it keeps doing that for a hundred years in a row, we now have the smartest population that has ever roamed the earth. And uh, it, it is just a really, really insightful book. Uh, Bill Gates' qu uh, quote right on the front of the cover that it's the most important book that he's ever read. Yeah, no doubt. That sounds like a really good read. Yeah, I know. Hmm. Yeah, we'll link to that in the show notes for sure. That might be one that we have to all read come back to but back to kind of the whole idea of this i was working on a, a blog post actually today it'll come out at some point after this uh, podcast airs but talking about like the epitome of boring and why that's important because so many advisors i say advisors because that's more the old financial salespeople like to sell the sizzle and what's hot or whatever's going on and sometimes the boring stuff like getting the trenches and like going through cash flow and budgeting and the stuff that's unsexy and no one wants to talk about moves the needle so much more than talking about the slickest, coolest investment philosophy. And I'll be the first one to admit, I've spent hours, hours, hours reading, listening to podcasts, and I, have a, I think I have a pretty good, you know, strong investment philosophy that's backed up with a lot of great evidence, but I talk about it maybe 10 minutes out of hours of conversation around things that are like how their lifestyle is and budgeting and cat, like what do I spend my time on is all those other things and that doesn't sound like that's what you would want when you go talk to a financial advisor, but it's like, no, you actually really do because that's what moves the needle and that's what makes the difference in you accomplishing goals or not because you can have the coolest 
newest whatever fund or tax-free insurance crap that someone sells you. But if you don't have all those other things figured out first, it does not matter. So I think it's a great tweet. And I know we've like expanded it to all these different things, but I'll just get off my soapbox now. <laughs> no, nah, man, that's fine. That's fine. We'll get you a new one next time too. <laughs> we need some more Isaiah soapbox rants. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, Dwight, did you have any final thoughts about this tweet of the week? Uh, no, but I, I think other than just, you know, fear tends to sell. So I think with that, we can transition into our next topic. Yeah. So this is an article that actually came out today. So June 2nd, you may never see your grandchildren again from Rick Ferry, who is a very outspoken person on Twitter. We all follow and know, I uh, don't usually agree with Rick on a lot of his takes, but this is a really interesting article where he went to one of these retirement dinners for those that are getting ready to retire. And this person basically came in and did the uh, old school selling products, free dinner, come in and listen to my spiel. And he broke down all the different lies that this person basically explained throughout the night. And it's really sad to see that this still goes on in 2019, but it absolutely does. And the first lie, I'm not gonna cover all of them, we'll link to the article, but the first lie says, please understand that we are a fiduciary registered with the SEC and we are required to have this information before giving you this presentation. So this individual, and not to get outside the scope of what we can cover today, buzzwords that you need to actually understand and, and know, like the fiduciary taking care of the best interest of the client before themselves for an advisor. Everyone knows that now, and so many salespeople use that even when technically they aren't. And this individual wasn't a true fiduciary, even though they're able to just spout that off and say it because no one's holding them accountable. And that's why we're all advocates of really kind of going through and knowing what your advisor or planner, or anyone that you work with, what their credentials are. And it's really sad because when people hear that, they're going to believe them because we generally want to believe someone when they tell us something. And then this advisor goes through and talks about why people should not delay their social security and how there's these lies and talks about returns and how risky things are and how he's fixed all this stuff for other people. And then talks about these fancy investment portfolios from endowments, which are usually like Ivy league um, universities and how they use guaranteed insurance products. Can you guess what this individual ended up trying to sell everyone that attended their dinner? Insurance products. I'm going to go ahead and say annuities, Yeah, Isaiah. Annuities for 10? Yeah. <laughs> and so for those listening, a lot of times annuities will have kind of an upfront <laughs> ticket. Tickets, well, it's more of an industry word, but basically it'll pay them like 5%. I've seen them as high as 9% of whatever the money that's put in. So if you put in a good chunk of money, your retirement, your 401k rollover, whatever, into one of these guaranteed products, it is a huge payday to this person. Those steak dinners are not free, and they know that if they can get one person to buy those things, they will come out ahead. And it's just really sad as this goes through that he leans on selling fear, just like Dwight was talking about, not being able to see grandchildren, canceling vacations, and all this fear of how they're going to live in their home. And it's just complete bullshit. And it's so sad because if I was sitting there, it would take a lot of strength just to sit there through the whole thing without like going up there and be like grabbing the mic and be like, Hey, so this guy's full of shit and everything he said is not true. And this is really what's going on here tonight. Any other thoughts? 
Yeah, I just can't believe Rick didn't do that himself. I mean, he's been knowing yeah, an investment advisor for a long, long time. Knowing so. his takes, um, you think I have spicy takes? Man, Rick is. Uh, whew. Yeah, this just falls right into the. I mean, I, I feel like all of us believe that annuities have a place and a time, but they are so much oversold than what they need to be, and it is usually a fear sale. So, yeah, this guy going up there and telling everyone that they're going to run out of money and the market's going to crash and this time it's going to be different and how scary things are and how you should be completely fearful and if you're holding if your money's in the stock market you're you're basically screwed it, it's just it, it just makes me sick to my stomach and it's too bad it even exists so what do you guys think is worse this or sitting through um, like a timeshare presentation this by, yeah, this by far. Yeah, this by far, because the timeshare presentation is annoying and like it's a bill you have to pay if you buy the thing. The annuity, if it's a poor product and it's being sold poorly, can just actually just ruin your life. So, I mean, a timeshare like makes you stressed. A, a An annuity might actually ruin your life if it's not the right product for you. But I actually, and I actually know folks that have timeshares and enjoy them. So I don't really have yeah. too many folks that are like, "Hey, you know what? I really love." My <laughs> well, and this is the thing with this is the thing with the annuity too. Like, I, I agree, there are times and places where annuities can make sense, but that is in a taxable account. So if you ever have someone try to tell you that you want an annuity in a some sort of retirement account, odds are not the right fit for what it's doing because the whole benefit of an annuity a lot of times is that the tax deferral or being able to be a little bit more tax efficient with the way that they're structured. If you put it within a retirement account, it really doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. And you might think that this never happens. It happens a lot. Happens a lot. Yeah, actually, there are some stats showing that a, a pretty significant percentage of annuities are sold in qualified accounts. And we'll have to link those in the show notes because I don't know them off the top of my head. But I've seen the statistics on this as as it being like a, a major target for insurance companies, which is kind of ridiculous given that, you know, out of all the benefits of annuities, guaranteed income, whatever you want to say, one of the big features is that they're tax efficient and the retirement accounts are already being tax efficient for you. So just. Yes, yeah, so if you if somebody wants to talk about the feature of giving a guaranteed stream of income then that's fine that's true at what cost i guess but yeah to put you don't get double tax efficiency but my guess is and i haven't i haven't seen what you're going to post ian but my guess is most of those are or a lot of it's probably in 403b like nonprofit uh type plans which is even sadder and, and um teachers things like that so that's where I typically end up seeing them. I don't know about you guys. I mean, I feel like a, a great victim is really it. just the, the 401k rollover. It's like, hey, I'm 65 or 66, I'm going to retire. And then you come in with the big fear talk of, well, if this next market crash, you're going to lose everything. So let's roll that 401k into an IRA, and then I'm going to put that thing into an annuity. And I feel like listeners need to understand that you don't see the compensation on the back end. So advisors, quote unquote, salespeople actually, are getting paid sometimes seven, eight, nine percent commission. So if you have a $100,000 401k and then you roll that thing into an IRA and that salesperson puts it into an annuity, they literally could have made $8,000 that day. 
do you think that would influence their decision of where to put your money? And Colin, that's a good point. Like, um, it depends on how much you have, right? And it also, making money is okay. It's just, you don't see it. And so if you go out and pay for a financial plan that somebody actually gives you good advice, um, you might pay the same amount for it uh, up front, but uh, it's not going to be, the push is probably not going to be there on something um, that they have such an incentive to do. So that you might get a few other options of what you can do other than, just buy an annuity and then you're stuck with it. Probably goes back to just knowing, know how your advisor's being compensated. Exactly. If they're going to do this financial plan for free out of their, the goodness of their heart. And you know, it's like, Oh, I would never pay a thousand dollars for a financial plan. That's expensive. But I will talk to this really nice (laughs) gentleman in a good suit who I trust and he's going to recommend an annuity and then make eight grand. Boy, good thing you didn't pay that thousand dollars. That would have been expensive. Yeah. And I can, tell you the firm that I worked at prior they couldn't charge a planning fee so the whole thing was you know we'll manage your assets for whatever it is and the financial planning is just included or it's free and we all can sit here knowing that the financial planning aspect and that actually true financial planning is the benefit it was like planning light and just more investment management Um, and then finally my favorite annuity is social security as much as people say they don't think it's going to be around social security is a great annuity and it needs to be part of a plan, especially if you're getting closer to retirement. If you're younger, maybe don't plan on it. We'll see what happens. There'll be a lot of changes, but that's guaranteed income as well. So, you know, you certainly need to take that into consideration before saying, you know, you really need an annuity. What's amazing about Social Security is if you throw that into net present value and see what that is over a lifetime, it's just amazing of what that thing is actually worth. If it were sitting on your balance sheet and it's not, you know, we're not sitting there as an asset, but it's just amazing to see what that thing is actually worth and how much of your expenses or how much of a retiree's expenses that can end up covering. Um, so obviously it's not going to do 100% for everybody or anything like that, but um, I do think sometimes folks kind of forget about it, uh, that it's there. Uh, and the changes to that tend to be incremental and over long periods of time. So I have a hard time believing that you're going to be getting into retirement in the next couple of years and they're all of a sudden going to, you know, change all the rules on social security right before you retire. It usually kind of grandfathers in. So don't go to retirement dinners. <laughs> don't go to retirement dinners. Unless it's your retirement and it's with friends. That's my advice. <laughs> yeah. There's no free lunch. I don't know. I think when I retire, that's what I'm going to do is just go to these little dinners and just get free food and hang out. And Oh, so you ready to sign up? I'm all set. Thanks, though. Oh, God. Hopefully by the time we retire, dude, they aren't selling annuities at dinners. That's just that's that's just a goal I have for the planning profession now. <laughs> yeah, we should run all those people out of business. They should be going and doing something different. Who knows what it looks like? It would be so much fun, though, just to act, you know, sit there chomping on your steak and be like, well, what's my surrender schedule? And then, and then just have them, you know, what's, yeah. the, what's the mortality and expenses on this thing? Like, is there... Is there... Colin's three martinis deep back there just shouting. At... And then just be like, oh, well, what's, what's my tax incentive versus, you know, being in my qualified account and then getting into the annuity? What is that? Just asking the questions. Just acting like you have no idea. You just get on some blacklist. Like every insurance company is just like, you're out. This guy's out. Your face is posted at every dinner. (laughs) 
don't let this guy in. He's, he'll ruin the whole show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's going to be my new favorite post-retiree activity, guys. <laughs> if it's we, still we around. We should just plan, like, our annual meetings, like, around these things. And, like, <laughs> we could all have our, we could do a podcast, like, right after or right before the dinner. All right, I think that's enough uh, blasting annuity dinners, although we could do it for hours, I'm sure. Do we want to go ahead and wrap up with some closing thoughts? Let's do it. So being down here in beautiful New Orleans, really fun meeting all these advisors from all over the country. Uh, Honestly, has given me a really great feeling of the financial planning industry as a whole, uh, just knowing that we are not alone. There are a ton of other advisors trying to do great work out there. Um, just, just really excited to befriend all these people and and watch them uh, take this industry to a new place. Yeah, I mean, I echo your sentiment. I also think it's just awesome how many of these people are in it for the right reasons. You know, not that any reason is a bad reason to do anything, but it's really cool to uh, to see a lot of people out there wanting to help. Yeah, just focus on what you can control and uh, try to tune out some of the noise. Rick's closing uh, sentence in his article is perfect. Retirees do need financial protection from advisors like this. Mic dropped. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening. We hope we were able to make you laugh and allow you to learn something. For all inquiries and questions, please email financialforesight at gmail.com. If you're on Twitter, feel free to give us a follow and ask a question there as well. Remember the podcast is for general information and entertainment purposes only, and you should not consider what we've talked about investment or tax advice. Please consult your professional team before implementing anything we talked about. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and maybe leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you and thank you so much for listening. We'll be talking again soon.